Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, February 8th, 2013. This is one of those programs where I feel like a prosecuting attorney. Not exactly uh, my favorite role to be in. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. One of the tactics that is employed by the devil is the attack against the meanings of words, okay? If you think back to the Garden of Eden, okay? Think back, think back to the Garden of Eden. So there's the serpent talking to Eve. And ask a question, a simple deconstructing question, by the way, uh, where he says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said, right? But um, what happens is is that Satan attacks the very word of God, and he attacks it in such a way that he attacks the very meanings of words. Keep in mind, language itself is a gift given to us by God. It is not something that was invented by humanity. In fact, you would point, I would point to the Tower of Babel and the and the fact that all of the ancient civilizations show up with. Well, already sophisticated, well-developed languages as proof that the Bible's telling us the truth. Because, little side note here, if evolution were true, well, where do you think language would come from, okay? If evolution were true, keep in mind the, the evolutionary theory basically teaches that uh, grandma and grandpa amoeba, um, you know, their genetic uh, information mutated into more and more complex organisms, eventually leading to humans, right? Right. Okay. So when humans apparently showed up on the scene, okay, then humans at that point would have needed to develop language. Um, ugh, ugh would have translated eventually or turned or changed into, could you hand me the rock over there? Okay, but see, the thing is, is that human language, you look, you go back in the history of humanity, there's no proto languages. <laughs> All the languages show up 
already very well sophisticated, which, by the way, is what we would expect after all the Tower of Babel tells us this is the case. You know, there's no proto-languages that you can go to where, you know, you, you go from to, you know, uh, <clears throat> to be or not to be. That is the You get what I'm saying. Anyway, you get a little hyperbole there. Okay, but here's the idea, is that in a universe where we are dead in trespasses and sins and in bondage to sin, death, and the devil, okay, a lot of times people think that, you know, our sinful nature just has it so that we have an appetite towards sins of the flesh, you know, those vices that everybody talks about, you know, that you're engages in, you know, drug use, um, sexual immorality and things like that, right? Fornal caboodling. That see when we, we we all recognize yeah, that's probably not good for you. That's sinful. We 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 classify that over there. We had all pretty much agreed that's bad. Okay. But sin runs deeper than that. Our rebellion against God is so deep, so profound, so ingrained in us that uh, oftentimes I describe it to people this way, that we are in such rebellion to God that the simple proposition that two plus two equals four is still way too constraining. Don't believe me? Look at the new math movement, okay? You know, this whole idea of new math, well, what does new math teach us? Well, Johnny, when he's in first grade, he doesn't have to learn that 2 plus 2 equals 4 as long as he really gives it a good college try and does his best. Johnny can still get a star on a star chart even if he says 2 plus 2 equals 22 because that's just a simple mistake to make. And we don't want to hurt Johnny's self-esteem. We don't want him to feel bad about himself or use a red marker on his homework. That would ruin him for life. So, what you know, so new math, that's <laughs> the kinder and gentler math. No, it's not. Okay? You do Johnny no favor whatsoever to basically tell him, good job, Johnny. Yes, 2 plus 2, that's great that you think it's 22. But um, let's take another look at this, and maybe there's another answer that might be even better than the great answer that you gave us, Johnny. You get what I'm saying here? The idea is this, is that in a sinful and fallen world, our sinful nature so hates everything associated with God and his truth that it's not just the Ten Commandments that we want to get rid of. Okay, no. We want to get rid of the limiting definitions that bind our consciences. Okay, the whole postmodern endeavor really is about freeing us from the constraints of even the laws of physics. I mean, if you look at postmodern architecture, it's absurd. Okay, and it's not even safe. I mean, engineers have to come in and clean things up so the buildings don't fall down because it can't work mathematically. But see, mathematics is too binding on human nature in some cases. That's really how it plays out, right? Okay, now this comes back to one of the things we're going to be talking about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. And here's the idea. Words mean things. They mean 
things. And so what we're going to be doing today, we'll kind of give you a funny example of uh, absolute bizarre, non-lucid wordplay coming from the Potter's House. That would be T.D. Jakes's um, quote, church, um, by a guest teacher who's been teaching there during the weekdays. Her name is Dr. Cynthia James. We're going to be listening to just some of the things that she's been preaching and teaching there at the Potter's House. And then we'll take a break. Okay, um, because your brain will probably be hurting after that. But then we're going to take a break and we're going to spend an extended segment today responding to John Mark Comers of Solid Rock Church in Portland, Oregon. His, quote, clarification that he gave regarding um, creational monotheism. Now, in his, quote, clarification, he makes the claim that he's not teaching polytheism. Okay, but as you will see, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to listen carefully to the things that he's said in his preaching and his teaching. And we're going to work with precise definitions of words. This is just real simple stuff. We're going to compare what he's said to those definitions of words and then take a look at his clarification to see if what he's saying is true if we apply precise definitions and clarifications of words. Now, I'm going to make the charge that he's playing fast and loose with word definitions and glossing what he's said so that he doesn't have to admit that he's been teaching polytheism. Yeah, I, I, don't, how, no, have, I don't know how else to say it. But you know that I'm going to kind of hang it out there, and we'll make a couple of comparisons just so that you kind of get what's going on there. But and then and then in hour number two, we're actually going to end the week off with a good sermon. Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley has a fantastic sermon that I cannot wait to play for you guys, entitled "A Gospel for." Dogs and no, we're not talking about your dog, you know, Fido or or you know your little puppy, you know, whatever. That's we're not talking about those kind of dogs. It's a sermon based on one of the texts from the Gospel of Mark, where the Syrophoenician woman basically comes to Jesus because her daughter is possessed by a demon, and Jesus said that you know I came for the uh, chil- you know the children of Israel. You don't throw your bread to the dogs. Okay, that text. That Pastor Jervis Nicholas Edward Charlie does a fantastic job in this sermon. And one of the things that he makes a point of saying is talking about the biblical concept of confession, the Greek word homologeo. It means to say the same thing as. And here's the idea. Okay, the, the, the reason I'm playing this is because, again, I don't uh, always, in fact, very rarely do I ever reveal the theme of a uh, program. But today's program theme, if you would, is that words have specific meaning. That's what this program is about. Words have specific meaning. And you can tell whether or not your pastor is orthodox, heterodox, or heretical, depending on whether or not when he opens his mouth, his words say the same thing as Scripture, because words have specific meanings. This is what we're going to be talking about today. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. We have got a lot of ground to cover. The first hour will more than likely run long unless, of course, a miracle happens and I'm actually able to 
get, get through it succinctly and rather quickly. But since we're doing a T.D. Jakes uh, update, but although we're not going to be listening to T.D. Jakes, but somebody teaching at his church, Dr. Cynthia James, uh, we've got to play our money-grubbing tele-evangelist update music. Here's Dr. Teeth. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats, let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. Eldenero, wanna be a millionaire? Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of oof and whistle for wearing and green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can and equal. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. I'm a paper bill inspector. I'm a savage for that cabbage man. To me, it's golden nectar. Pour that filthy lucre on me. Spread those loving germs upon me. Money, 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 money. And if they ever plant trees of enormous urum, I want to be the guy that they send out to prove Right, that's uh, Dr. Teeth and money, money, uh, money. <laughs> All right, so um, <clears throat> during the midweek teaching over at the Potter's House out there in Dallas, Texas, that would be T.D. Jakes, bi- I'm sorry, the bishop, the bishop T.D. Jakes um, <clears throat> congregation, he's been having a gal by the name of Dr. Cynthia James teaching there on the Nehemiah experience as well as other things. And <laughs> they are so excited to let everybody know about Dr. Cynthia James's teaching that they've been putting out her, you know, little kind of like highlight reels out on YouTube on their Potter's House YouTube channel. <laughs> you listen, <laughs> you listen to this woman, and there's something wrong. And here's what it is: it's that you're hearing words, but what they mean. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, for instance, okay, now I'm capable of constructing a sentence that, well, even though it has a noun and a verb and things like that, you probably wouldn't understand what it means because I don't even know what it means, but the sentence is this. Are you ready? Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. (laughs) Makes perfect sense, right? Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Now diagram that for me, would you? You can't because what I've done here is I've basically obliterated that sentence by sticking words in there that although technically, you know, you got your nominative and your predicate and you got your, you know, that thing going on there grammatically, it all hangs together. It doesn't make any sense because language doesn't work that way because words have actually specific meanings. And the sentence, blue sleeps faster than Tuesday, well, it's gobbledygook, okay? Well, there's a lot of people out there out on the religious scene 
and I would also say in politics, listen carefully to me on this one, they do the same thing in politics. I know because I used to be the treasurer for the Republican Central Committee out there in Southern California. So I know all about bending language so that it doesn't have any real meaning, okay? This is one of the reasons why I'm averse to politics now. Anyway, but uh, this is what's happening in the religious world, and I just want to give you kind of a crazy example of it. So here's Dr. Cynthia James from the Potter's House YouTube channel. This is her highlight reel of her teaching about burning but not burnt. Burning but not burnt, and it has some reference to uh, get this the the burning bush there on Mount Sinai, and, well, see if you can make any sense of these sentences and statements. I want to suggest to you uh, that you are that bush. Uh, ah, the bush. Uh, don't overlook bushes. Uh, don't overlook small things. Uh, God could have set all of Mount Sinai on fire. Uh, he could have had the whole mountain exploding, uh, but he... Ch- the whole mountain exploding, uh? Is that a speech impediment? What is that? Perhaps a thorn bush, uh, same bush in nature uh, that could have put the crown of thorns on his head. Uh, he was weeping, uh, he was wounded, uh, he was bruised, uh, but he was not destroyed. Uh, death came to claim him. Ah, uh, oh my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, stop. What does it have to do with the burning bush? This is weird. rolled in front of the tomb. Uh, guards in front of the tomb. Uh, he was burning, uh, but he was not burnt. Uh, and as he was, uh, so are you. Uh, I care. So you uh, are a burning bush. Uh, I, yeah, because you can be burning uh, and not burnt. Uh. <laughs> I don't know what this means. Uh, but I don't care. Uh, I'm concerned, uh, but I'm not concerned uh, about what you're going through. Uh, because if you are under fire, uh, if you are under pressure, uh, if the heat has been turned on in your life, uh, I'm not a prophet, uh, but I come to tell you, uh, you will not burn up. Uh, you shall live. Well, there you go. I mean, she's not a prophet, but she's come to tell you uh, that you will not burn up. Uh, you know, that's great. Uh, um, <laughs> what does this mean? Live and not die. You shall run and not grow weary. You shall walk and not faint. Get the authority that doesn't come from your pedigree. Get the authority that comes singularly from God. I'm not going down this road. Now, Although she's actually making sentences, there's nouns and verbs and things like that, uh, and uh, she keeps putting the uh thing at the end of whatever she's saying. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, seriously, if somebody were to transcribe this particular segment from the highlight reel of Dr. Cynthia James over there at the Bishop's uh, <clears throat> Potter's House in Dallas, would you, I mean, would you be able to make sense of any of this? No, this is language that has no meaning. It's been evacuated of its meaning because these sentences are not lucid. They're not using sound definitions, precise language, or anything like that. But because she's delivering with passion and running up and down the stage and keeps saying, uh, after everything she says, um, people believe that somehow the anointing, uh, has fallen upon her, uh, and now she's speaking the word of God, uh, 
But I'm sorry, God really doesn't make non-lucid statements like this. I'm not going to be depressed uh, in 2013. Uh, I'm not going to be ill, uh, but I'm going to be on top of anything that comes against my body. Uh, I'm not going to be distressed. Uh, I'm not going to be despairing. Uh, I'm not going to be cast down. Uh, I'm not going to be forsaken. Uh, I won't be putting my head in my hands. Uh, I won't be looking for Egyptians. Uh, I won't be looking... <laughs> Well, I'm glad she's not going to be looking for any Egyptians. Uh, okay. Okay. Just, I am so sorry. When was the last time you were looking for Egyptians? Uh, I, what does that even mean? Hebrews. Uh, but I uh, am a bush. Uh, that's burning. Uh, tell your neighbor, look out, look out, look out, uh, look out. Uh, look out, look out, look out. She's a burning bush. Uh, Fire. Bishop's word uh, said he was going to set it off in here. Uh, and he has preached to us uh, and taught us uh, until he has lit a fire uh, down in my soul. Uh, the old church used to say, uh, I wish the church of God uh, would catch on fire. Uh, it wasn't a denial. No, I don't want my church to catch on fire. That would require them to call out the fire department. That could be bad. I mean, it could be very destructive. We'd have to probably rebuild a building. Uh, Nation. Uh, it wasn't a particular liturgical matter. Uh, it wasn't a particular communion stream. Uh, but it was those uh, that have a burning uh, down in their heart. Uh, the lamp of the... This is more difficult to understand than the Starbucks menu. I mean, do you remember the first time you had to, conf- you know, you had to just order coffee at Starbucks? You didn't know the language, did you? You know, oh man, I need a... Uh... Um, can I just have a small? Co- no, you don't have small. Okay, what's small? Tall? No, that's too small. What's medium? Grande. Okay, all right. Hang on. So I want a grande coffee. You don't have coffee? Okay. Okay. So I need to look at the menu here. Hang on a second here. Okay. So I want a grande Sumatra. Right. Okay. Um, decaf or decaffeinated? Okay. So I want a grande caffeinated Sumatra. Um, with no whip, why, why would there be whip on that? I, I don't understand. No, no shot of, of espresso either. This is really confusing. All I want is a cup of coffee. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, okay? You had to learn a whole new language just to learn how to order coffee at Starbucks. And uh, don't you remember when Starbucks first showed up, like the first people who knew how to order coffee at Starbucks? I mean, they, it was impressive, wasn't it? You know, you, <laughs> you walk in and, and you know, they're they're excited that they're taking you to Starbucks. And they walk in and they just rattle off. I'd like a, 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 a venti a mocha, you know, seven pumps of uh, mocha, no whip uh, with, you know, whatever, you know. And they they just whip that, and you said they go, wow, that's impressive, whoo, hard, you know. Anyway, what we're hearing here is even more difficult than Starbuckian, which I think is a language. Uh, this is way more difficult than Starbuckian because none of this makes any sense. This is the kind of like the language equivalent of the. Um, Emperor has no clothes. You know, you know the story, right? The uh, the 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 Han Christians Hans Christian Andersen story of uh, the emperor or the king who who basically was schnookered by two guys claiming that they could make a, a regal outfit like none other from this this really rare thread material that uh, only they could see apparently. And you know, they, they so finally they finished making this amazing outfit for the king. You know, for, of course, for an outrageous price. And then he 
apparently puts this thing on and goes parading down the street in this and everyone's going oh that's the most amazing thing ever oh it's the most beautiful regal outfit ever and some kid goes the king's naked right exactly he's naked that's what he is this is what's this is the language equivalent of, i hate to say this none of these words none of these sentences make any sense you know, now I don't want to say that uh, Dr. Cynthia James is naked. I that's, that's not what I'm saying. But from a language point of view, that that would be the case. Not in the physical realm, but metaphorically, language-wise. Let me just back this up just a little bit here because <clears throat> you, you get what I'm saying here. Words have specific meanings, but apparently, in the re- in certain religious sectors, words have like no meaning whatsoever, so that you can do stuff like this. To say, uh, I wish the Church of God uh, would catch on fire. Uh, it wasn't a denomination. Uh, it wasn't a particular liturgical matter. Uh, it wasn't a particular communion stream. Uh, but it was those uh, that have a burning uh, down in their heart. Uh, the lamp of the word. Uh, David said, Thy word uh, have I hid in my heart. Uh, what is it? It's a lamp unto my feet, uh, and it's a light unto my path. Uh, I'm going to walk in it. Uh, I'm going to talk in it. Uh, I'm going to live in it. Uh, I'm going to move in it. Uh, speak to me, Lord. Tell your neighbor, speak to me, Lord. Oh, come on, say it like the church. Speak to me, Lord. Yeah, this is like the English language version of speaking in tongues. It doesn't make any sense. <sighs> All right, so that, that, that's kind of a humorous <clears throat> point that I'm trying to make here, but you get the point. Words actually have specific meanings, and when you read God's word, it's, get this, it's understandable, okay? You can actually get what it is that God has revealed there and understand it and communicate it in your own native tongue in a way where what you're saying makes sense. But there are a lot of people nowadays who use language as basically silly putty so that what happens is is that they can hide behind postmodern obfuscation by not applying any specific meanings to words so that they can basically use that tactic to hide to hide you know their well lack of orthodoxy or things like that and so when we come back from our first break what we're going to be listening to is John Mark Comer. Well, actually, I, yeah, we're going to be, I'm going to lay out the case. Um, you know, go back in time. We're going to listen to John Mark Comer talk about his teaching. We're going to identify it for what it is using precise and exact definitions and then take a look at his recent clarification that he's posted on his Facebook wall to see if it passes the, well, the precise definition of language sniff test to see if, if well, what he's saying is actually true or not, and um, and then compare it to the right things accordingly. So that's what we're going to do when we come back. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Lots of coverage. We're going to go back in time. We're going to prosecute this like an attorney would prosecute this, which is not my favorite way of doing things, but it's got to be done. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. 
You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. You're listening to the Emergence Sports Network here on Pirate Christian Radio. You've tuned in just in time to catch today's Emergence Ball match between the Pomo Bombers and the Majestic Mystics. Today's match is proudly brought to you by Rex Quando's Bible Pants. There's the buzzer, and they're off. McLaren dribbles a pigskin down to first base, takes out his putter, and... Whoa! Jones checks McLaren against the boards, and then passes to Padgett in left field. But wait, Bulls Weber is charging from the 10-yard line, and she slam dunks from the foul line. That's a birdie. The crowd is going wild. When was the last time you saw something like that? I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Okay, play is resuming. There's Rollins. He serves to Bell. Bell snatches the snitch. And then Hail Mary passes to McLaren. McLaren is in the end zone. Oh, and he slaps it back to third base. Tickle grabs her wicket and then punts one out into center court. It looks like Jones and Padgett are double-teaming Bowles Weber. He doesn't have a shot, so she slices one off into the rough. McLaren is there to make the safety, but Padgett grabs McLaren's face mask and then throws down to second base. What a brilliant save that was. Jones takes out his driver, then sends one out to midfield. Tickle headbutts the ball and then sends it back to McLaren. He vaults over the pummel horse. Oh, and he sticks the landing! Unfortunately, the degree of difficulty wasn't that high, but McLaren racked up seven brownie points. Tickle sets up for the kickoff. But wait, Jones is trying to steal third base. Tickle slap shots the ball back to Bulls Weber, but Jones is safe. He's safe. That means it's going to be third down with 44 meters to the pin. Looks like this match is going to go into sudden death. You can register now for the 10th annual Branson Worldview Weekend in beautiful Branson, Missouri, Friday night, April 26th, Saturday, April 27th, and Sunday morning, April 28th, 2013. Full details are at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. That's worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. Speakers this year will include Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. We'll also have speaking with us for the first time his son-in-law, Bodie Hodge, along with Pastor Jesse Johnson, a regular guest here on Worldview Weekend Radio. We'll also be joined by Chris Pinto with a brand new presentation. Mike Gendron will also bring a new presentation, as will Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. We'll also be joined this year for the first time at a Branson Worldview Weekend by Jason Carlson and Jared Carlson. We'll also be joined for the first time in a conference setting by Carl Tykrib. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. We have a family rate and group rate. You can go ahead and purchase your tickets now and receive priority upfront seating when you purchase your tickets now at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. And join us April 26, 27, and 28 in Branson, Missouri. Missouri.
The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. If your pastor is engaging in word games, postmodern deconstruction of specific definitions of words, you need to run. He's not teaching you the truth. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend on you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. Are you a member of our crew yet? Well, if not... Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, right there in the center of the homepage, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. They're friendly. I picked the colors so they'd be friendly. Friendly yellow buttons that in one of them says, join our crew. Now, when you join our crew, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95. That's it. Every month, six dollars and ninety-five cents. Not a lot of money. It, it, you know, it's a couple of cups of coffee if you know how to order at Starbucks. A couple of cups of coffee at Starbucks. That's what we're talking in a thirty-day period. Not a lot of money, but it makes a big difference to us. And the reason being, the more crew members we have, the more we can be able to budget and meet budget on a month-to-month basis. It takes out the the major swings of peaks and valleys in our giving and makes it so that we can keep bringing fighting for the faith to you and to the world. Of course. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do that by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And as always, I want to thank every one of you who supports Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, because we can't do what we do without your support. You really, truly are partnering with us. Uh, when you support us financially and make it possible for us to do what we do. Okay, moving along. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Doug Paget, And today we have a special treat. Sitting in with the orchestra is uh, John Mark Homer of Solid Rock Church, Portland, Oregon. He will be playing first chair cello today as they... Well, let the spirit guide them in their homage to the uh, nihilistic philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche via Strauss's uh, fantastic work, 
also Sprock Zarathustra. And you'll notice that they have freed themselves from those limiting definitions of notes and are just being led by the spirit to to play whatever just comes to them. Oh, it's just fantastic. Here, Here, listen to this. Isn't that wonderful? They don't have those little definitions of notes getting in the way of the spirit. Pooey on modernism. We hate modernism. Modernism is stinky. This is better. Now... Now, some of you may be surprised that I have put John Mark Comer uh, in, lumped him in with the, well, the emergent crowd. The reason I've done that is because of his recent clarification. And the way I said that, you should have seen me using my fingers to put air quotes around clarification regarding whether or not he's teaching monotheism or polytheism. Now, before we get to that clarification, we're going to actually do something that needs to be done, okay? We are going to spend a little bit of time looking at the definition of words. And there's a reason why we need to do this because once we get a solid understanding of the definition of particular words, we will be able to determine whether or not John Mark Comer of Solid Rock Church in Portland, Oregon, has been teaching monotheism or polytheism. Okay, now, so I'm going to have to argue this like a prosecuting attorney, which, by the way, is not my favorite way to do things, but it's got to be done. Okay, so I would like to submit to you, like, Exhibit A, okay, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. Okay, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, which you can find at m-w.com. When I go to the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary website and I type in the word polytheism, okay, polytheism is the word that we're looking for. Here is the definition given by Merriam-Webster's. Ready? Polytheism is the belief in or worship of more than one God. Let me read it again. Polytheism is the belief in or worship of more than one God. Okay? It's real simple. So, if you believe in Yahweh, Allah, Shiva, and Vishnu, all different names of deities, you are a polytheist. Okay? Now, I would like to submit to you then the next one, and that is monotheism. Okay, monotheism, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, which again is found at m-w.com, monotheism is defined as this: monotheism is the doctrine or belief that there is but one God. Okay, real simple. Okay. So if you believe that there is only one God, you are a monotheist. If you believe that there is more than one God, even if it's two or three or a hundred, you are a polytheist. Remember, words have specific meanings. Now, I know this sounds basic, but there's a reason why I'm doing this. Okay, now... 
with these definitions in hand, we're going to ask ourselves a question. I'm going to go back and I'm going to play selected sound quotes or sound bites from the sermon we reviewed recently here at Fighting for the Faith, John Mark Comer, you know, what is it named? Uh, Yahweh Elohim. That was the name of the sermon, okay? And we're going to determine whether or not he was teaching monotheism or whether or not he was teaching polytheism. And we're going to use as the indicator as as to whether or not he was teaching monotheism or polytheism the definitions of those words given by the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. Okay, so that way, I mean, here's the deal. Merriam-Webster concocted their dictionary long before I came on the scene or John Mark Comer came on the scene, okay? Because, well, words have specific meanings in the English language, okay? Now, we're going to start off with um, John Mark Comer, and we're going to listen carefully to what we're going to do here because there's several things we need to get from this particular quote, Okay. Here in this quote, he's going to say, we think the gods, okay? And then blank, 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 okay? You're going to fill in the blank. I want you to listen carefully to this segment from John Mark Comer's sermon entitled Yahweh Elohim. We reviewed it in its entirety here at Fighting for the Faith. And let's determine his theology based upon what John Mark Comer said. Here's what he said. We think the gods are powerful spiritual beings with authority over kind of nations and the demons are lower level spiritual beings who work for the gods that's kind of theory but we kind of that's the consensus but whether or not that is true we know for sure that the um that the biblical authors are all making the same point there is listen there is one creator god who made the universe, who spoke all that is real into existence. But there is a multiplicity of created gods or real spiritual beings. Think of them as lesser gods or, in the language of Gary Brashears, gods with a lowercase g. Okay, that's the quote. Let me play it again, and I'm going to point out some things along the way. Okay, John Mark Comer, from his sermon, Yahweh Elohim, said, We think the gods... Listen again. We think the gods are powerful spiritual beings with authority over kind of nations. And the demons are lower level spiritual beings who work for the gods. Okay, now this is important. Okay, what did he just say? We think the gods are powerful spiritual beings. And notice what he said. And the demons work for the gods. Okay. Now, using our definitions of the word monotheism and polytheism given to us by a independent third party, that would be Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Okay. Again, monotheism is the doctrine or belief in that there is but one God. Polytheism is the belief in or worship of, it doesn't matter if you worship more than one God, it's the belief in or worship of more than one God. Okay? Is John Mark Comer, according to those definitions, teaching monotheism or polytheism? Okay, listen again. We think the gods are powerful spiritual beings with 
authority over kind of nations, and the demons are lower-level spiritual beings who work for the gods. That's kind of theory, but we kind of that's the consensus. But whether or not that is true, we know for sure that the um, that the biblical authors are all making the same point. There is listen. There is one creator God who made the universe. Okay, so there's one God right there spoke all that is real into existence. But there is a multiplicity of created gods or real spiritual beings. Think of them. Okay, so what he said, there is one creator God and a multiplicity of created gods. Now, again, I have to make this point. He made the distinction earlier in this quote between those created gods and demons. That's what he said. The demons work for the gods. We continue. Them as lesser gods, or in the language of Gary Brashear's, gods with a lowercase g. And these gods have a measure of free will and autonomy, just like human beings. They can obey God and serve God, or they can rebel and fight God. Some love God, others hate God, some are good, others are evil. But the fact is, there is an invisible world all around you that is just as real as the visible. Okay. Now, what do we learn from this quote? According to John Mark Comer, we think, this is his quote, I want to know who the we is here, we think the gods, okay, that these are powerful beings, demons serve them, some of them are good, some of them are evil, okay? So based upon what he's said here, again, the definition of the word monotheism is the doctrine or belief that there is but one God. Okay. Polytheism is defined as the belief in or worship of more than one God. Based on those definitions, is John Mark Comer in this sermon teaching monotheism or polytheism? Let me play the quote again. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but I want you to hear again what he said. We think the gods are powerful spiritual beings with authority over kind of nations, and the demons are lower-level spiritual beings who work for the gods. That's kind of theory, but we kind of that's the consensus. But whether or not that is true, we know for sure that the um, that the biblical authors are all making the same point. There is listen. There is one creator God who made the universe, who spoke all that is real into existence. But there is a multiplicity of created gods or real spiritual beings. Think of them as lesser gods or in the language of Gary Brashear's, gods with a lowercase g. And these gods have a measure of free will and autonomy just like human beings. They can obey God and serve God, or they can rebel and fight God. Some love God, others hate God, some are good, others are evil. But the fact is, there is an invisible world all around you that is just as real as the visible. Okay. 
based on just that quote alone, it's very clear to me that if we go with the very specific definitions of the words monotheism and polytheism that John Mark Comer in this sermon is teaching polytheism. And it's important to note that he makes a distinction between demons and these gods, which he, which whom he says, some of them are good, some of them are evil, some of them love God, some of them hate God, and the demons work for the gods. They are created gods. That's what he said. Now, since he mentioned Jerry Brashears, okay, I think it's important to bring something into into play here. Jerry Brashears is the man who co-authored with Mark Driscoll the book called Doctrine, What Christians Should Believe. Now, I want to make something very clear here, that in this book, Jerry Brashears is not teaching creational monotheism. Okay. In fact, I want to read to you a quote. Now, if John Mark Comer had taught what's in this book regarding one true God, I'd have no beef with what he said. But he didn't. He taught that there is, literally, if you were to kind of put the hierarchy in place, there's the creator God, Yahweh. Underneath him are the created gods, Okay, these powerful spiritual beings, the gods, some are good, some are bad. And beneath them, since the demons serve them, are the demons and the angels and then humanity. Okay, but here's what uh, Jerry Brashears co-wrote with Mark Driscoll. You can find this in the book Doctrine, by the way, starting about halfway down from uh, halfway down the page of page 13. Here's what he wrote. Okay. First, there is only one true God. The Old Testament contains a number of clear statements that there is only one God. And then the footnote gives some fantastic scriptural references that teach that there is only one God. Likewise, the New Testament clearly states that there is only one God. Together, the unending thunderous chorus of Scripture from beginning to end is that there is only one God. Scripture also clearly teaches that there is no one like God. Scripture teaches that any claim to be like God is a satanic lie. Practically, this means that in addition to there being only one Trinity and no other, there is no other God who is eternally existent and uncreated, all-powerful, all-knowing, or all-present. The biblical emphasis on the existence of only one true God raises the question of what is to be made of the other, quote, gods, unquote, that are worshipped by people in various religions in the days of the Bible and in our present day. The Bible states that these, quote, gods are very powerful fallen angels who rebelled against God. They hate Jesus and seek worshipers whom they reward if they serve them well. They perform powerful signs, wonders, and miracles and can deceive people into thinking that they are equal with God. Practically, this means that they are incredibly powerful demons with names such as Baal, Shamash, Molech, 
Brahman, Allah, Mother Earth, Mammon, and Aphrodite that are all wrongly worshipped by multitudes as gods. Okay, now that's what Jerry Brashears co-wrote with Mark Driscoll in the book called Doctrine, which, by the way, was only published a few years ago in 2010. Okay, now that's not what John Mark Comer is teaching. Okay, let me play this quote again. And I mean, again, is he saying the same thing as Jerry Brashear says in Doctrine with Mark Driscoll? Answer, no. He says something different. We think the gods are powerful spiritual beings with authority over kind of nations and the demons are lower level spiritual beings who work for the gods. That's kind of theory, but we kind of, that's the consensus. But whether or not that is true, we know for sure that the, um, that the biblical authors are all making the same point. There is, listen, there is one creator God who made the universe, who spoke all that is real into existence. But there is a multiplicity of created gods or real spiritual beings. Think of them as lesser gods or, in the language of Gary Brashears, gods with a lowercase g. And these gods have a measure of free will and autonomy just like human beings. They can obey God and serve God, or they can rebel and fight God. Some love God, others hate God, some are good, others are evil. But the fact is, there is an invisible world all around you that is just as real as the visible. Okay, so let me play another quote here, okay? And and the reason I'm going to play it in this order is because in this quote... Well, John Mark Comer, again, makes a point of distinguishing between these created gods, these powerful beings. He makes a distinction between them and angels and demons. Listen in. If the language of gods makes you nervous, that's okay. I'm sorry for that. Um, Modern kind of Christians in the West prefer the language of angels and demons. Uh, Now, there are two problems. That's okay. There are two problems with that kind of language. First off, the language of angels and demons comes with all kinds of baggage from culture. Uh, By angels, people think of blonde Swedish supermodels, you know, (laughs) with a 10-foot wingspan. (laughs) Right? And I'm sorry to break it to you, but every single angel in the Bible is male. I just ruined your Christmas decorations for next year. I'm sorry, all right? Um, and by demons, you know, we think of the cartoon character on the, you know, shoulder with the pitchfork or Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live or whatever, right? I mean, that's how we think of angels and demons. But the second problem is that the language that is used by the biblical authors, at least in Hebrew, at least in Genesis to Malachi, is Elohim or the gods. And in the story of 1 Kings, Solomon's heart is turned away, not by a cartoon character on his shoulder, but by the gods. Okay, so he's arguing that we're not talking about fallen angels or demons. He's trying to make an argument that these are a different class of spiritual being altogether. And notice in the story, turned away to evil. 
Um, on that note, turn to Psalm 82 to the right, right to kind of smack dab in the middle of the scripture, Psalm 82. Okay, this. Now, by the way, in the when I reviewed this entire sermon, I demonstrated that what's going on in Psalm 82 is that God is judging human, basically heads of state, kings and princes and stuff like that. That's what this psalm is really about. But watch what he does with this. This is going to blow your mind up. Um, gosh, I get excited about weird things. Um, psalm 82. By the way, this passage, Psalm 82, is one of the favorite passages of the Mormons who un- are unashamedly polytheists. It's a weird text. Um, it starts off, Psalm of Asaph, starts off by saying, God presides in, and my Bible says, the great assembly. If you're reading the ESV, it's the divine council, which we think is a better way to translate the text. God presides in the divine council, which you read about right here, you read about in Job 1, you read about in Second Kings, and it's all over the um, literature of ancient Mesopotamia. It's all over Greek mythology. Think of... Um, what was that horrific movie a few years ago? Uh, Rise of the Titans. You know that weird genre of movies of like Greek and Roman mythology and hard rock music? It's really bad. Um, but you know there's that scene uh, with the gods, i.e. Liam Neeson and company, who are up in the heavens having a conversation about what to and the earth is down below, about what to do on the earth. Okay, That's the divine council. That's what it's called in Greek mythology. Now, the main difference between the divine council and kind of Greek mythology and Hebrew... God bless you. Um, you know, which comes from the German Gesundheit, which is, which is what you would say because they thought a demon was leaving your body, which is great news for you right now. Anyway. Um, but... <laughs> That was great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the main difference between Greek <laughs> between Greek mythology and Hebrew theology is that in Hebrew theology, Yahweh is over the divine council. Read the text. God presides uh, in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. Now, my Bible puts it in quotes. In Hebrew, there's no such thing. If you're reading the ESV or the New American Standard, it says rulers. That's flat out wrong. In Hebrew, it's Elohim presides in the great assembly. He renders judgments among the Elohim. What the heck? God renders judgments among the gods. Then listen to what God, Yahweh, the creator, says to the gods in the divine council. Quote, How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Fascinating. What are the gods doing? Injustice. Okay, I'm going to, again, pause it here. Based upon... The specific definition of the word monotheism and the specific definition of the word polytheism, which is objective. It's outside of you. It's outside of me. We're quoting an authority on what that those words mean. Is John Mark Comer here teaching that there is more than one God or that there is only one God? That's the decision you have to make. I'm hearing him 
and correct me if I'm wrong, that he's arguing for the existence of more than one God. Now, granted, Yahweh is the chief guy. He's the head of the, he's the head honcho. He's the super duper creator God who created the other gods. And notice again, he makes a distinction between angels and demons being gods. He does not, he does not equate the demons with gods here. What he's doing is basically saying that this is a completely different level altogether. And as he said earlier, the demons serve the gods. Some are good. Some are bad. Some love Yahweh. Some hate him. Okay? So is he teaching monotheism or polytheism based upon the specific definition of the word, of those words? Answer, he's teaching flat out polytheism. And he's not teaching the same thing that Jerry Brashears co-wrote in the book Doctrine with Mark Driscoll. Which, by the way, what he co-wrote in that segment, that's absolutely what the, what the Bible teaches. There is no God but one. There is only one God. And anything that exalts itself to the status of God, is that, that's a satanic lie. Those are, that's Jerry Brashears. Uh, those are his words uh, un, unmistakably. So it makes me wonder, has Jerry Brashears changed his view? Has his theology evolved to where he now is a closet polytheist? Well, let me go back a little bit in the sermon and play for you another segment. Why does Yahweh need a name? Well, according to uh, John Mark Comer, there's a reason. Listen in. The question for today is, why does God need a name in the first place? What's wrong with God? And why is it that God is almost never called God in the scriptures? Almost never. He's almost always called Yahweh Elohim or the Lord your God. My Bible right here, the NIV says um, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God. But that's actually out of order. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim or the Lord, the Lord God, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger on down the list. Why is that? Why does God need a name? Short answer is because there are many gods. Monotheism or polytheism? Again, you know, I hate to be redundant here, but we live in a postmodern age where people play with the definitions of words. Monotheism, the doctrine or belief that there is but one God. Polytheism. The belief in or worship of more than one God. Is he teaching monotheism or is he teaching polytheism? Here's one more um, soundbite quote for you to consider. He lays it out pretty succinctly here. Listen in. Um, There are three worldviews that I bump into all the time in the city of Portland. There are way more kind of across the globe, but three that I bump into all the time if you're taking notes. The first, next slide, um, is kind of monotheism. Um, And it's the idea, you know the idea well, that there is one God, kind of the imagery of a mountain, right? God's at the top of the mountain, and Jesus is how you get to God. And all the other gods in the major world religions and Islam and Hinduism and all that stuff are false gods. And by that, the majority of Western Europeans mean non-entities. Okay, so 
Is he teaching monotheism? Nope. He says he runs, there's three worldviews that he runs into all the time. One of them is monotheism, the idea that there's one God and the other gods are false gods. He's distinguishing what he's teaching from monotheism. By his own admission, what he's teaching is not monotheism. Listen again. Um, There are three worldviews that I bump into all the time in the city of Portland. There are way more kind of across the globe. But three that I bump into all the time if you're taking notes. The first, next slide, um, is kind of monotheism. Um, And it's the idea, you know the idea well, that there is one God, kind of the imagery of a mountain, right? God's at the top of the mountain, and Jesus is how you get to God. And all the other gods in the major world religions and Islam and Hinduism and all that stuff are false gods. And by that, the majority of Western Europeans mean non-kind of non-entities. I would argue that worldview is actually not the worldview of Jesus, Okay, so he's distinguishing his position from monotheism. Using his own words, we can rule out that John Mark Comer is a monotheist. Um, The second worldview I bump into all the time is kind of universalism, which is a junk drawer title. I apologize for that. The reality is that there are different people all around the world worshiping different gods. Which leads me to the worldview of Jesus and the scriptures. Next slide. Uh, The technical title in theology is creational monotheism. Now I'm going to stop there. Universalism, basically, you know, all roads lead to the same God. You know, he, he rejects that. So he rejects monotheism. He rejects universalism. Okay. Um, and now he's arguing for what he calls creational monotheism. By the way, I, I made the statement on the Issues Etc. radio program the other day, and I'll make it here. If your monotheism needs a modifier, like the word creational, it isn't monotheism. It's a form of polytheism basically being trying to be smuggled into the language as if it is monotheism. So again, let me back this up just a little bit so you can hear his take on his view. Which leads me to the worldview of Jesus and the scriptures. Next slide. Uh, the technical title in theology is creational monotheism. And it's the idea that there's not one mountain, there's many. And uh, Allah, I'm sorry, Islam is the way to Allah. And Buddhism is the way to Nirvana. And Hinduism is the way to the Brahman. And Mormonism is the way to Elohim. Interesting, that's the Mormon title for God. And you have Wicca, and you have spirituality, and that's a sample. I mean, you literally have however many dozens of mountains with dozens of gods and world religions and spirituality that is set up as the way to the gods. But, next slide, there is one creator God who made all the others, who spoke the universe into existence. He's one creator God who made all the other gods. He's called Yahweh in the Hebrew scriptures, or what you and I call the Old Testament. He's called God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in the writings of the New Testament. And this God, next slide, is nothing like the others. This God comes down the mountain in Jesus He comes down the mountain in the incarnation of Jesus of Nazareth. It's not that all paths lead up the same mountain, universalism. 
So there are different paths up different mountains. And it's not that Jesus is the only way to God, monotheism. He, he is, don't get me wrong, he is. But it's more like he is God come to us. Get the difference. He is Yahweh, think back to last week, the creator of the universe, born in flesh and blood. He is Yahweh come to you and me. That is the gospel of Jesus. And that, I would argue, is the worldview of Jesus and the scriptures. Okay. So, quick question. Is John Mark Comer, based upon the definitions given to us by an objective third party, Merriam-Webster's, polytheism, the belief in or worship of more than one God, is he a polytheist or is he a monotheist, the doctrine of belief that there is but one God? Answer, based upon his own words, based upon what he taught, there is no other conclusion that you can draw than that John Mark Comer taught polytheism, the belief in more than one God. Even though he's saying we need to only worship the creator God, he teaches the existence of more than one God. And what we heard from his own mouth He taught this. I didn't force him to say these words. Nobody was holding a gun to his head. He did this of his own volition. He said that the demons serve the gods and that there are good gods and there are bad gods. There are gods who love Yahweh and there are gods who hate him. And that God sits as the head of the council of the gods. And he's not talking about demons. Okay? With all of that now as our backdrop, okay, we now come to John Mark Comer's recently published on his Facebook wall clarification about this controversy. Okay? And remember, words have specific meanings. Here's what John Comer, John Mark Comer wrote. Solid Rock Family. Some of you have been asking some great questions about my recent teaching, Yahweh Elohim, and Solid Rock's theology. To clarify, we are not polytheists. We are monotheists. We believe there is one real true creator God with no equal or parallel. By using the language of creational monotheism, we are saying there are real spiritual beings in the universe under the creator God, Yahweh. The demonic powers we read about in the scriptures are not non-entities, but are real. The New Testament calls them demons, angels, spirits, powers, princes, and principalities. But the primary Hebrew word used in the Old Testament is Elohim, or gods. These beings are gods with a lowercase g. They are not on par with the creator God, Yahweh. They are created, but have rebelled against their creator to wreak havoc on the earth. This is the worldview of Jesus and of the scriptures. By using the language of creational monotheism versus modern monotheism, 
we are challenging the post-Enlightenment Western European view of monotheism from the last 300 years that says there are no other spiritual beings in the universe. We don't buy it, and we don't think Jesus does either. At Solid Rock, it is our deepest conviction to know and pursue the ways of Jesus, to understand and adopt his way of thinking and his worldview, stay rooted in the scriptures, keep asking questions, and above all, follow the Creator God in Jesus. Now that was his clarification. But you'll notice what happened there. His clarification glossed over what he said, and in some cases reinforced what he said. Remember, the definition of polytheism is belief in or worship of more than one God. That's polytheism. Monotheism is the doctrine or belief in that there is but one God. In his clarification, I'm going to read to you a section of it again, is he affirming monotheism or teaching polytheism? Here's what he says. We believe there is one real true creator God with no equal or parallel. By using the language of creational monotheism, we are saying there are real spiritual beings in the universe under the creator God, Yahweh. Now remember, he made a distinction between demons and gods. Let me play it for you again so that there is no confusion whatsoever about what he said. We think the gods are powerful spiritual beings with authority over kind of nations and the demons are lower level spiritual beings who work for the gods. That's kind of theory, but we kind of, that's the consensus. But whether or not that is true, we know for sure that the, um, that the biblical authors are all making the same point. There is, listen, there is one creator God who made the universe, who spoke all that is real into existence. But there is a multiplicity of created gods or real spiritual beings. Think of them as lesser gods or, in the language of Gary Brashears, gods with a lowercase g. And these gods have a measure of free will and autonomy just like human beings. They can obey God and serve God or they can rebel and fight God. Some love God, others hate God, some are good, others are evil. But the fact is... There is an invisible world all around you that is just as real as the visible. Okay, now, this actually folds rather nicely with what he's, what, you know, his clarification is just a reiteration of what he said. We believe there is one real, true creator God with no equal, right, because he's the creator God. By using the language of creational monotheism, we are saying there are real spiritual beings in the universe under the creator God. The demonic powers we read about in the scriptures are not non-entities, but are real. Now, again, I point out, I read, I quoted that for you, because not, not once, but twice, he makes a distinction between demons and the gods, and even went so far as to say that the demons serve the gods. Okay, so basically what we're dealing with here is John Mark Comer claiming to not be a polytheist, or to put it bluntly, I he basically saying, I'm a monotheist who believes in more than one God. 
that's not monotheism. That's polytheism. And on top of it, he says that the modern mono, the modern concept of monotheism is that, uh, the, the, here's what he says, Western European view of monotheism from the last 300 years says that there's no other spiritual beings in the universe. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Are you talking about the deists? I mean, Christian monotheism has always taught that there is one God and that the so-called gods are demons basically masquerading as gods, but they're not really gods. They're, they're satanic beings, angels, demons. You get what I'm talking about here? So, I mean, not only, not only is he engaging in postmodern obfuscation, basically arguing, listen, I'm a monotheist who believes in more than one God. These are not gods who are equal to the creator God. Whether or not they're equal, by the way, has nothing to do with it. That has absolutely nothing to do with it. By the way, in the ancient uh, Greco-Roman world, okay, they were polytheists. Zeus was the uh, the chief of the gods, right? The chief of the Olympians. They had this pantheon of all kinds of deities, and some were more powerful than others. They even had a deity that they that that you could make offerings to, who was the deity who could cure your house of common mold and fungus. Okay, there was literally a Greco-Roman, uh, you know, god of mold and fungus. Now, no one would argue that that god, you know, even though it was supposedly in their way of thinking a deity, was on par with or had the same status or power or authority as Zeus. Okay, that's not the issue. Polytheism is the belief in more than one God. It doesn't have to be the worship of more than one God, nor does polytheism say that I believe in more than one God and they are all of equal status. What makes you a polytheist by definition is whether or not you believe in the existence of more than one God. And John Mark Comer is engaging in obfuscation. He's engaging in obfuscation. And what this reminds me of, well, is a couple of things. See if this sounds familiar to you. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Remember that one? <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, former President Bill Clinton during the whole Lewinsky scandal. And he swore up and down, and you know, that he was telling the truth, remember. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Now, despite the fact that <clears throat> they didn't actually have intercourse, they engaged in a... <clears throat> Um, well, they engaged in behavior that resulted in a, well, a genetic material being um, left on Miss Lewinsky's blue dress. But he did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky, remember? This is postmodern word games that uh, Bill Clinton engaged in. Let me give you another example of postmodern word games. See if this rings a bell. This was from January of last year. Now, I wasn't allowed to view this while it was happening, but I eventually got to see it. But listen to this. This is Mark Driscoll and T.D. Jakes discussing 
whether or not T.D. Jakes believes in one God and three persons or one God, three manifestations. Listen. Yeah. Well, there, there, we also would agree in the nature of God, there's mystery. And, and it's like a dimmer switch, you know, how much certainty, how much mystery. Thank you. Um, but within that, uh, Bishop Jakes, for you, you know, the issue between Trinitarianism and modalism at its essence is one God manifesting himself successively in three ways or one God, three persons um, simultaneously eternally. existing eternally. So, so the question that was put to Jake's, do you believe in one God manifesting himself in three ways or one God in three persons? Because remember, modalists believe that there's one God who's manifested himself in three ways, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there's that the one God is only one person. It's like basically changing costumes. Listen to the answer. Your best understanding now, and I understand there is some mystery for sure. Would you say it's one God manifesting himself in three ways or one God in three persons? I believe that neither one of them totally get it for me, but I think the latter one is, is where I stand today. One God, three persons? No, one God, three persons. Now, everybody was, you know, excited. Oh, we got T.D. Jakes to say he believes in one God, three persons, but don't don't rejoice too quickly. One God, three persons, and, and here here is why I am there. I don't, I'm not crazy about the word persons, and this is, most people who know me know that that is really, my doctrinal statement is no different from yours, except for the, the injection the manifestation. of manifest, inst, manifest instead of persons, which you describe as modalist and I describe as Pauline. Uh huh. So I believe in one God and three persons, as long as by that you understand I mean manifestation. Okay. In other words, um, T.D. Jakes was engaging in a same kind of postmodern wordplay that Bill Clinton was engaging in. T.D. Jakes. He believes in one God, three persons, as long as by that you mean manifestations. Bill Clinton, you know, he didn't actually have sexual relations with Monica Lewinsky because he was narrowly defining and kind of playing with the, the, the term sexual relations. Well, John Mark Comer is engaging in the exact same tactic. He's a monotheist. Well, who believes that there's more than one God. So he's a monotheist. He's not a polytheist. But he's a monotheist who believes in more than one God and argues for the existence of more than one God. But see, those gods are not on the same par as the creator God, but he's a monotheist. So he's a monotheist in the same way that T.D. Jakes is a Trinitarian. You get it? This is all... Nothing more than postmodern obfuscation and word games. And the reason that they're able to get away with this is because in our postmodern society, we've become used to people who play these kinds of word games. But the thing is, is that there is no such thing as a monotheist who believes in more than one God. Because Monotheism is the doctrine that there is but one God, while polytheism is the belief in or worship of more than one God. And by John Mark Comer's own teaching, 
his own definition, his own words, he believes that there are created gods that are different and distinct from demons, and the demons serve those gods, and those gods have free will. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them love Yahweh. Some of them hate Yahweh. In other words, John Mark Comer, in his clarification, is basically claiming, I am a monotheist, not a polytheist, but I'm a monotheist who believes in more than one God. Get it? This is nothing more than postmodern word games and obfuscation. And what John Mark Comer needs to do right now is repent. And that's not what he's doing. He's been caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He's been caught teaching polytheism. Much the same way, well, Bill Clinton was caught having an affair with Monica Lewinsky. He's been caught teaching polytheism, and now he's engaging in a postmodern obfuscation word game in order to basically not have to admit and confess that he's been teaching polytheism. That's not what a Christian pastor would do. What he needs to do is own what he's said. He needs to say, yep, I said this. We think the gods are powerful spiritual beings with authority over kind of nations, and the demons are lower-level spiritual beings who work for the gods. That's kind of theory, but we kind of that's the consensus. But whether or not that is true, we know for sure that the um, that the biblical authors are all making the same point. There is, listen, there is one creator God who made the universe, who spoke all that is real into existence. But there is a multiplicity of created gods or real spiritual beings. Think of them as lesser gods or, in the language of Gary Brashears, gods with a lowercase g. And these gods have a measure of free will and autonomy, just like human beings. They can obey God and serve God, or they can rebel and fight God. Some love God, others hate God, some are good, others are evil. But the fact is, there is an invisible world all around you that is just as real as the visible. So what John Mark Comer needs to do right now is he needs to confess that that is is what he said. He needs to confess that he was teaching polytheism. And he needs to say, and I was wrong. He needs to say, Isaiah 43.10 is very clear. Yahweh himself says, before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. So John Mark Comer needs to say, yes, I taught polytheism. I was in error. I apologize. I repent. I recant and renounce my polytheistic teaching. That's not what scripture says. 
I repent and I affirm that there is only one God. There is no other. That's what he needs to do. He needs to do it publicly and he needs to do it unequivocally and he needs to own what he's said. Anything short of that is flat out obfuscation and spin control on his part. If he does not confess to what he said, admit that it's polytheism, repent and recant of it, and ask for forgiveness, then we must continue to believe that he is teaching polytheism. Because this little postmodern word game by saying, I am a monotheist, not a polytheist, but I believe in more than one God, doesn't fly. It doesn't, it doesn't wash. That's a game. That's false teaching as well. And that's not what we're called to do as Christians. You either pick monotheism or polytheism, but don't sit there and say that your polytheism is monotheism by engaging in postmodern obfuscation. We saw that from Bill Clinton. We saw that from T.D. Jakes. Now we're seeing it from John Mark Comer. And if you attend his church, you must insist that he publicly admit to what he said, publicly recant and confess and say the same thing as scripture, that before Yahweh, no God was formed, nor will there be any after him. There's no middle of the road on this, none whatsoever. And his clarification wasn't clarification at all. It was a smokescreen. Okay, we're up on our second break quick break, pay some bills. When we come back, we'll be listening to a fantastic sermon by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley entitled, A Gospel for Dogs. No, we're not talking about Fido or Woofer or anything like that. We're talking about the Syrophoenician woman. Yeah, listen in. You don't want to miss it. It's a great sermon. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. <laughs> the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. 
And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. We're going to end the week off with a good sermon. Heading back across the pond. And the reason I picked it, by the way, has to do with the fact that he really goes in depth about what it means to confess. To say the same thing as. That's what the word homilago in the Greek means. Here's Pastor Jervis Nicholas Edward Turner. Let's do this upright first. Here we go. I almost got ahead myself there. <laughs> The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via via Bethel Evangelical Free Church, Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent in the United Kingdom. Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley presiding. The name of the sermon is A Gospel for Dogs. It's a hard word, folks. It's going to be a hard word, but we all need to hear it. And no, we're not talking about Fido or Fifi or Woofer or any of your dogs out there. This is the story taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, where Jesus heals, basically casts out a demon from the daughter of uh, the child of a Syrophoenician woman. Yeah, you you just got to hear it to get it. So, again, key in when Pastor Charmley talks about how confession means. To say the same thing as. That's what we're called to do as Christians. To say the same thing as what scripture says. That we're sinners. In need of God's grace and forgiveness. And what we confess. Our doctrine. It needs to say the same thing as what scripture says. That's kind of the. Again that's the reason why I picked it. So let me go ahead and kill the music here. Ooh. Ah. Sorry. I got away with myself there. Ah. 
Uh, now I got to do this. Stop this. <laughs> I'm going to keep singing. Okay, so without any further ado, here's Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, A Gospel for Dogs. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel according to Mark and chapter 6. Or rather, chapter 7. Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. Mark has been describing in chapter 6 how Christ is constantly misunderstood by his enemies, by the crowds, and even by his own disciples. Now in chapter 7 we come to further opposition to the Lord. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the traditions of the elders. When they come to the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered them, and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, 
blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he had a house and wanted no one to know it. He could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she asked and said to him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, To this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came to the midst of the region of Decapolis, the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf, and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. The more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. We trust God to bless the reading of his word. Our text this morning is taken from the chapter we read. Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. And verse 28, And she asked and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. We have here in this account of this Syrophoenician woman who came to the Lord Jesus, a woman in desperation at the end of her resources. Woman whose daughter was possessed by a demon and unclean spirit who had no other place to turn but to the Lord Jesus and he called her as good as called her a dog and appeared to react to her just as any other Jewish person might to any other Gentile woman what then was she to do? It is a difficult passage to some. How can the Lord Jesus of all people say these things to this woman? And yet he does. And here we have in fact a great and important lesson on not only prayer but on coming to God in Christ coming to the Lord Jesus we have here first of all her desperation secondly we have her discouragement from Jesus and thirdly her determination 
that she would be heard. So we have desperation, we have discouragement, and we have determination. First we have her desperation. It was simply one of those things that happened that Jesus was in the area of Tyre and Sidon. He was there, not on ministry, but trying to take a rest. You will remember how back in chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus said to the apostles, Come aside by yourselves, deserted place, and rest a while. And yet when they arrived, they found that there were thousands of people there to hear Jesus. That it had become so bad that the multitudes thronged him so much that they did not even have time to eat, to sit down and have a proper meal. And so he, seeking rest, had gone out of the land of Israel, out of the promised land, and into pagan territory, because there he would not have the crowds thronging around him. He was seeking rest. Quite probably they were staying in a house that belonged to a, a Jewish person, who sympathized with Jesus, a disciple perhaps, but he was outside of Israel. Indeed, this was the, the area from which the notorious Queen Jezebel had come in the Old Testament. Yet it was also the place where Elijah the prophet had provided by the power of God for a widow from Zarephath, a town of Tyre and Sidon. And here is this woman, quite probably a widow herself, because otherwise she would not have come personally to Jesus. She would have had her husband come, given that in this culture women had a, a very subordinate status, it was the prayer of the Pharisee, I thank you Lord, I was not born a dog, a Gentile or a woman. And so a, a man would have been regarded as having a greater chance of success if he came to Jesus. And so the fact that no husband comes would indicate this woman was a widow. And a widow in the Bible the ancient Near East was regarded as one of the most helpless of people because she had no husband to provide for her, no husband to protect her. She was on her own in a world that was not friendly. And she comes to Jesus because of her daughter. Her, daughter, her young daughter had an unclean spirit. A little girl was possessed by a demon. And while there are various different effects of different demon possessions in, in the Bible, we know this, that it means that there was this evil spirit dwelling within her, tormenting her. 
For these creatures hate human beings. These creatures seek to torment and to torture human beings for they hate God. They cannot touch God. But men are made in the image of God. And they will attack the image when they cannot attack God himself. Satan and all his legions are the sworn enemies of mankind. And here one had somehow, we don't know how, got possession of this little girl. The mother would have gone to everyone she could think of. To doctors, to pagan priests, to professional exorcists, and nobody could do anything. Nobody could cast out the demon. For only God can do such a thing. And the one thing the pagans did not have was God. In fact, Paul the Apostle says that the things that the pagans sacrificed, they sacrificed to demons. So that this whole culture, this whole land was, in a sense, oppressed by demons. It is one of the great blessings that has come from the Lord Jesus Christ and his death that now the work of God is spread in every nation. But then it was the Jews who were the people of God. And the light of the gospel, the light of God's word was very much restricted to the Jewish people. And to anyone who sought to join themselves to the Jewish people. But it was the Jews who were the church, who were the people of God, and none other. So there was nothing for her in all the world's religions. There is nothing in all the world's religions that can help the troubled soul. Nothing at all. There may be some show of wisdom. There may be some law that bears some resemblance to the laws of God, particularly, of course, in cases where God's laws have been, as it were, plagiarized, such as Islam. There may be some apparent wisdom, some show of self-denial, but there is nothing that can help the soul of man in all the world's religions. Nothing at all. They are empty cisterns. They are utterly helpless in the face of the true evil in the world. And the same goes for non-supernatural Christianity. We've heard in the census that There's now only about 50% of the population identify themselves as Christians. Now we know full well that 50% of the population will not darken the doors of a church of any kind on Christmas Day, let alone any other Sunday, any Sunday of the year. 50% of the population of this country are not in church at any time. 50%. The percentage of church attendance is massively lower. 
And so you have all these people who are professing Christianity who are not Christians in any way at all, who show no commitment, no desire at all. They never, from the beginning of the year to the end of it, have anything to do with any church at all. We're not talking about people who are unable, we are talking about people who, you ask them, are you a Christian? They would say, oh yes. But you ask them when they last went to church and it was perhaps for a wedding or a funeral or a christening. Why is it so? Well, the answer is, to a certain extent, that we have had a over a century, well over a century now, in particularly Protestant churches, I must say, of non-supernatural Christianity, of so-called rational Christianity. And the end result is no Christianity at all. In other words, there are people who think themselves Christians but have nothing of Christianity. You ask them who the Lord Jesus was, and they will tell you that he was a good man who said many good things. And this is powerless, it can do nothing. It is not Christianity at all. All the religions of the world can do nothing. There is only one who can do anything for the soul of man. Only one who can save and keep. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Not an imitation, but Christ himself. Jesus of Nazareth. That man who was born in Bethlehem. Who grew up in Nazareth. Who was crucified for our sinners and for our salvation. Christ alone can help the soul of man. This woman in her desperation came to Christ because there is no one else to come to. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners God. She came and yet she received this discouragement. Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. We are told elsewhere that he said that he was not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You have these discouraging words and yet they were true. First of all, his mission, he had three years on the earth. Three years. And most of that work was concentrated on the disciples. On a very small number of people. So even out of Israel, a very few people heard, truly heard, the word. He concentrated on them. Why? Because he would then send them to make disciples of all nations. Because he would then send them out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In other words, it's a mission strategy. You begin by training the missionaries. Jesus trained the missionaries from Israel. Jesus was the Messiah promised to Israel. It was not that his mission 
would ultimately be confined to Israel but that it was for those three years confined to Israel and then it is able to go out into all the earth. Israel was the covenant nation of God. God had sworn to them the covenants. To them he had given the Old Testament. There were these national covenants that no other nation had. And no other nation has today, incidentally. You cannot point to Great Britain or any other nation under heaven. Because the people of God are the church of God. Not a physical nation with a government, but they are the church, elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. The Gentiles had no covenant to look to the way that Israel did. The Gentiles could not say, This is our God. The Jews were the lost sheep without a shepherd. What were the Gentiles? And Jesus goes on. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. It is a harsh name. It was a name that was commonly applied to Gentiles by Jews. They were dogs. Unclean. Scavengers, outside, excluded, and they were. But are there no crumbs? You see, the law comes before the gospel, and the law declares that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The problem wasn't that the Jews were good and the Gentiles were wicked. It was that all were wicked. And the Pharisees and the scribes would not recognize that. They and their followers, they would not recognize. The law tells us that all have sinned. It comes first of all, and this is something that people look with horror at the church. How can you say that people are sinners? Because all have sinned. I've often said in the open air to people, look, you don't live up to your own standards, because nobody does. So how can you think you live up to God's, and yet you have people saying, well, I think I'm a good person. For this is the great barrier. It is that people look and they say, well, aren't people really good on the inside? Well, Jesus already said, no, everybody is bad on the inside. And that is why we need salvation. That is why we need Jesus. If Adam was good on the inside, all we needed was a better law. All we would need was Moses. But all are sinners. And that is why we sin. And so we come to the woman's determination. Rather than being discouraged when Jesus said, You have. When he's basically called her a dog, she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs on the table eat from the children's crumbs. 
Yes, it is all true. I deserve none of it. This is confession. The, the Greek word of a confession literally means to say the same thing as. And to say the same thing as God in context. Jesus says, Gentiles are little dogs. And the woman says, yes we are little dogs. And are there not crumbs for the little dogs? If we confess our sins, says the Apostle, the Apostle says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you see, here's the problem. Just people saying, people refusing to confess, to agree with God, to agree with the verdict of the law. Because Christ has come for sinners, not for good people, because there aren't any good people. In our Lord's parable, he brings before us two men, a, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we are, of course, to understand that in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the Jewish world at the time, the Pharisee is the good guy. The Pharisee is the man who is trying to live according to the law of God. That is how the Jews understood it. And the Pharisee comes and he prays and he says, I thank you, I'm not as other men are. Or even as this publican, this tax collector. The tax collector prays in an attitude of abject self-condemnation. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And of course, the, the twist in the parable is that Jesus says, which of these two men went down justified? Which of these men was declared righteous in the sight of God? The man who declared himself to be a sinner in the sight of God. Christ has come for sinners. And what the children reject, the crumbs, that does indeed fall to the little dogs, as you and I. For we are Gentiles. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We were outside the camp. But Christ, by his death, has broken down that middle wall of partition. Christ has brought Jew and Gentile together, so that we may look, and we may say this whole book, Old and New Testament, is ours, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That we may look at Abraham and say we are children of Abraham, not by natural descent, but by spiritual. For those who believe are children along with believing Abraham. Christ has come for sinners. Are those who confess their sin. Those who come seeking what only he can give. They 
know that he is for them. So him writer puts it, the chief of sinners though I am, and vile beyond degree to die for sinners, Jesus came. Be merciful to me. We look at the cross and we say, why was he there? And we see there is no power apart from the cross. Crossless Christianity is Christless Christianity is no Christianity at all. The gospel is Jesus crucified in all of its awfulness. A man who was nailed to a cross, nailed through his wrists, through his feet, a crown of thorns upon his head lifted up to die. The blood and the suffering. And all of that was for us. And yet we look still deeper, for we hear his cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Why did he die for you and for me? He hung and suffered there for all who believe in his name. Because of our sins, the enormous load of human guilt was on the Saviour laid with woes as with a garment he for sinners was arrayed, says the hymn writer. And so it is true, he himself, that wonderful text, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And therefore, without confession, there can be no salvation. Because the person who says, well, I'm, I think I'm a good person, is disagreeing with God, is saying there was no reason for Jesus to die. Because the law says the soul that sins it shall die. And the Gospel says that Christ has died for sinners. And we confess both law and Gospel. The law's condemnation and the Gospel's wonderful declaration of justification. He has loved me. Mr. Wesley puts it in that wonderful hymn of his, He has loved me, I cried. He has suffered and died to redeem such a sinner as me. What a wonder it is. What a marvel that Christ has done this for us. And so indeed we look and we marvel that he came for the little dogs. And we see this woman, she confessed, and Jesus says for this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. For this saying, for this, not arguing with God, but agreeing with God. Go your way. She comes and she finds the demon has gone, and her daughter is safe. She confesses, yes, I am a dog. And what the children reject, that goes to the dogs. And what a wonderful thing it is for us. The Jews would say, dogs of the Gentiles. Christ came for.
for sinners. He came not to deal with anything we could have dealt with ourselves, but precisely for what we couldn't deal with. For the sins that separate us from God. The sins that would indeed cast us into hell were they not punished in the Lord Jesus. He came to suffer and die for sinners. The law looks out and the law says to all mankind you are unclean. You are outside. You are dogs. Sinners, says the law. Those ten commandments condemn all mankind. You take the Sermon on the Mount and you find it condemns all mankind. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet Christ died for sinners. Because the law is that schoolmaster that points us to Christ shows our helplessness and it brings us to the point where we can do nothing of ourselves. We cannot save ourselves but must cast ourselves completely on the Lord Jesus. We must indeed confess our sin, my sin, my guilt, the hymn writer. I all confess. I have no hope nor plea. But Jesus' blood and righteousness be merciful to me if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness to Christ then be the glory Amen Amen so what would you think love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith you could do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian follow me on Twitter my name there at pirate Christian till Monday may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins amen <laughs>